Amanda, remember that time a woman invented investigative journalism? Remember that time in historical podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Webb. And I'm your host, Anna Webb, and this is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all their favorite moments in history. And we're back, baby. Hello. We're very tired. Oh my god, you would not believe. <laughs> the energy level in the studio today might be a little weird. Yeah. I started um back with students at school this week. Which means I am a shell of my former self. <laughs> I am so tired and I might as well be asleep. <laughs> and I'm just tired because I'm almost 30 and my job <laughs> involves talking to people on the internet all day, every day. So here we are. It's a weird combination. Mm-hmm. Would you like a drink update? Yeah. I'm having some hot cider. Oh, I wish that were me. It's a very cozy day here in Pittsburgh. Um, And this is going to be a little bit of a Pittsburgh episode. A little bit. Ooh. Um, Anyway, it's been very rainy all week. It's chilly in my house. So, and I have absolutely put up my fall decorations. Oh, same. Um, so I got out my fall mug and filled it with a, an autumnal beverage. Lovely. I'm drinking water (laughs) because I'm losing my voice because (laughs) I spend all day talking to children and yelling at children. So (laughs) I'm... Sounds about right. Doing my best over here. It's like retraining your voice at the start of every school year. Yeah, and my entire body into being used to doing it again. (laughs) I just mean that specifically, like... yeah. You lose your voice early on because you're you have to train your voice to get used to, you know, projecting all the time again. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, to, I wear like a face shield, right, mm, while we're right. W- working. And today we were standing in a line, and one of my students was at the front of the line, and I I speak loud naturally, um, yes, but it do. like echoes in my <laughs> shield, right? And I was standing there talking, and he went, "Oh my god, you're loud right here." <laughs> I said, I sure am. Because he could, like, hear it echo. He was like, oh, stop. And, like, covering his ears. It was so Oh, funny. my gosh. That's funny. Well, are you ready to get into it today? Yeah. Yes. So we're going to talk about a really cool woman today. Um, Nellie Bly, which is a pen name. So we're going to start off calling her something different. Calling her not that. <laughs> Correct. But we'll transition. Um, so let's get into it. All right. So, Elizabeth Jane Cochran is born May 5th, 1864 in Cochran's Mills, Pennsylvania, which is now Burl Township, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh. Ah. So, not too far from where I am. Nice. Um, Her father is Michael Cochran. Um, So, he is a mill worker who eventually buys the local mill and all of the land surrounding you know the area um and cochran's mills is named after him so her family kind of founded the area basically um well they didn't found it but you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um (laughs) 
Established that town there. Yeah. They purchased it. <laughs> yeah. Well, her dad did anyway. Um, he is later like a obviously a merchant. He's the postmaster. <laughs> um, it, he's very important in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has he marries twice. Okay. His with his first wife, he has ten children. That's already too many. And then with his second wife, who is Elizabeth's mother, mm-hmm. um, her name is Mary Jane Kennedy, they have five children together. That's too many children. It's way too many children. Um, but Michael uh, passes away when Elizabeth is six. Mm. So this is kind of an issue for the family because he has all the money um and he passes away and he leaves them without a will so they don't really have any legal claim to his estate wow even though he like founded the whole area right so while she while she began from like really uh, well off you know from a well-off place for the most part she was not raised you know super affluent Uh uh-huh um, so they can't maintain the house or the land, so the family moves away. Um, her mom later remarries, but then divorces because the guy is awful and, you know, abuses her. And mm-hmm. so it's mostly, like, her mom and the kids. Um, so in 1879, Elizabeth enrolls in the Indiana Normal School, which is a weird name. <gasps> I've heard that before. I've heard schools called yeah. normal schools, and it always amuses me. I know. It's weird. But now it's Indiana University of Pennsylvania, or IUP, as we call it in the area. Um, so she attends that school for a term, but then they can't pay for it anymore. So she has to drop out. Um, and this I just found interesting. So I read a couple things about she really wanted to put off this very like sophisticated persona. Like she had a nickname when she was younger. I think it I think it was Pinky, if I remember correctly. Mm. And she was like, um, I don't really want to be seen as like a you know, a little girl, like a little kid. So while she is attending Indiana Teachers College briefly, she adds an E to her last name. So she's Elizabeth Jane Cochran with an E. <laughs> Uh, okay. And I saw so she that, thought it sounded more sophisticated. Or I guess more sophisticated. I saw that in several places, like several places. Or maybe she was trying to remove herself from the history of that town or something. Maybe I don't know why she would though. I don't know. I don't know. But at any rate, in 1880, the family moves to Pittsburgh. Mm. Uh, she and her mother run a boarding house while they're there. Um, and when they're living in Pittsburgh, a paper called the Pittsburgh Dispatch publishes a column that is called What Girls Are Good For? And can you guess what might have been in that column? A whole lot of terrible, huh? (laughs) Yeah. Um, girls were for birthing children and Uh keeping the house clean. But guess who did not enjoy this article? Oh, boy. That's right. Our girl, Elizabeth. So she writes a response under the pseudonym Lonely Orphan Girl. Oh. And it's, she rips it to shreds. And the editor, George Madden, is actually quite impressed with it. And he um, 
publishes an ad in the paper asking the author to identify themselves because he wants to give them a job. So um, she does. She introduces herself to George and he offers her um, the opportunity to write for the paper, still using that pseudonym, Lonely Orphan Girl. Um, Her first article for the Pittsburgh Dispatch is entitled The Girl Puzzle, and it's about how divorce affects women. And she argues for, like, divorce reform, like, laws, Mm -hmm. um, because she thinks women get the short end of the stick, which they absolutely did. They do, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Her mother went through two divorces. Well, a death and a divorce. And is has like nothing. And she got nothing out of it. Either right. of those marriages. Yeah. Right. Um, well, I mean, she might have gotten something out of the first one if her father had, you know, left a will, but he didn't. Yeah. So anyway. Um <laughs> It's like that girl on TikTok who's trying to find the deed uh, of that farm. Have you guys seen this TikTok? I'm sorry, brief brief pause to talk about this tiktok sorry it's that just made me think of that amazing TikTok. i can't remember what it's called now I'm and i don't want to look it up it. because it's gonna start like playing audio for my phone but this girl on tiktok has this old family farm and she's searching for the original deed like she has copies for of it um but they they want to find out where the original deed is because it was apparently like hidden on the property and it's become this huge mystery and I highly recommend it. I found it. Her username is Iris Roro. It's incredible. It, she's amazing. It's she does amazing. other stuff too and like has a small business. Um, It's a hemp business, I think. Yeah, I think so. CBD but business. So incredible. if you're interested, support that too. But it's amazing. So anyway. sorry for the tangent. <laughs> Utterly unrelated, but definitely watch that tiktok yeah <laughs> um okay so anywho so she's writing some articles for this paper and by 1885 she's writing for them full time wow she makes five dollars a week which bring it in the box yeah i mean money was weird and different back there back <laughs> yeah. then not there Ooh. well also she's there slowing down <laughs> she's slowing down you can hear it in real time <laughs> yeah so at this time, it's pretty common for female writers to use pen names. Um, so the editor chooses the name Nellie Bly, um, which is the African-American title character from a popular song called Nellie Bly. In the song, it's spelled with a Y, but they spell her name with an I-E uh, because the editor misprinted it and then it just stuck. Huh. Um, anyway, the song's by Stephen Foster, but that's where they, that's where the name came from. Interesting. So I am going to refer to her as Nellie from here on out, just because that's how pretty much everybody knows her. Uh-huh. Um, so we're going to switch the names now, just FYI. Okay. So Nellie's early work at the Dispatch is a series of investigative articles about women factory workers. Ooh. So she writes a lot about how they're treated um, the poor conditions, all of that. And the newspaper obviously starts getting some complaints from the factory owners. And so she gets reassigned to like the quote unquote women's pages where she just writes the same thing that most other women have to write at this point, which is like fashion and gardening and like 
all that kind of gossip stuff. Gossip and whatever. Well, not even that. That wasn't popular really yet. Well, that's true, I guess. Yeah. So it was more just like, write about society and, you know, like, the and parties, like, you know, frivolous stuff. Uh-huh. And she's obviously very unhappy with that because clearly we can see that's not the work that Nellie wants to do. Right. So when she's 21, Nellie moves to Mexico huh. to be a foreign correspondent. Whoa. She spends a, almost a half of a year there um, and reports on the lives and customs of the Mexican people. Um all of her dispatches from here, meaning like the stuff that she sent back to be published, um, are later published in a book um, called Six Months in Mexico. Hmm. Um, in one of her reports, she protests the imprisonment of a local journalist um, who is imprisoned for criticizing the Mexican government, which at the time is a dictatorship. And the Mexican authorities learn of the report and Uh they threaten her with arrest and she has to flee the country oh my gosh so yeah that's not as wild as it's gonna get my friend she's out there putting in the footwork (laughs) she's doing the dang thing well this is not even close to the amount of footwork she's about to do so here we go so she comes back to the states and in 1887 she leaves her job at the dispatch and she decides to move to new york city sure um, she has a lot of trouble getting a job there, obviously, because, you know, papers are really bad about hiring women at this time. Mm-hmm. So she's living there for about four months. She has no money. And she finally talks her way into the offices of Joseph Pulitzer's newspaper, The New York World. Pulitzer and Hearst, they think they got us. Do they got us? <laughs> no! God, I love newsies. <laughs> Um, so she talks her way into the offices and they give her an undercover assignment. The assignment is to investigate the reports of brutality and neglect at the Women's Lunatic Asylum on Blackwell's (gasps) Island, which is now Roosevelt Island. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. So this is a very famous work that she does Yeah. So, she, they want her to go in undercover. So, she spends a little bit of time trying to get admitted. Mm -hmm. Um, She checks herself into a boarding house called Temporary Homes for Females. Um, She stays up all night to give herself a look of, like, widened eyes. Um, And... Because that was a sign that they, you know, looked for to commit women to an asylum. Because there were, it was not hard to commit women to asylums. This will not Um, be the first time in this podcast we've talked about the list (laughs) at the Weston Asylum. Uh, That is a list of reasons women got admitted to the asylum. It is wild. It's wild. If you look up Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, like reasons for admission, you'll find the list. It is wild. You can buy a poster of it. we've definitely talked about this before and i'm still Um, just like it's wild and it's so funny because it's like (laughs) it'll be like too sad all the time and then three points down it's like really happy you know what i mean it's Uh, like one that's like exact opposite there's one that's like religious (laughs) fervor and then there's one that's like refusal to read the bible or something like that (laughs) okay so we can't do either anyway 
So she's trying to give herself the look of someone who is not well mm-hmm. based on, you know, what society believes is the look of someone who's not well. For women um, especially. Yeah. Right. Um, she starts making accusations that the other boarders are like crazy or mm-hmm. something. Like that's what she's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, she refuses to go to bed, and then eventually she scares so many of the other boarders that they call the police and they take her to a nearby courthouse. And that's when she's examined by a police officer, a judge, and a doctor, and they admit her to the asylum. She's this is incredible. So all she really had to do, let's be honest, is just be like loud and not yeah. sleep. <laughs> like she didn't do that much, frankly. Mm-hmm. So Nellie spends 10 days at the asylum and experiences all the poor conditions. I'm not going to go too deep into what those were just because that's not really the point of this episode. And also just you should just read what she wrote because Mm -hmm. that's gonna be more impactful anyway oh i'm so i'm just sitting here and i'm listening to you but i do have the world will know stuck in my head from newsies (laughs) and i just i can't i cannot apologize enough (laughs) well the world which is the world shorthand Shorthand for the paper, the New York World. So the world publishes the articles about her experience in a six-part series, which is later published as a book Mm -hmm. called Ten Days in a Madhouse. Wow. It's really, really successful. And this is her, like, hands-on approach and going undercover basically develops into what we now call investigative journalism. Yeah. Wow. And we'll touch on that a little bit again here in a couple minutes. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, not many people reported like that. Did then. this type of reporting. Right. Yeah. That in depth. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, the piece sheds light on a lot of disturbing conditions at the asylum, obviously. Neglect, physical abuse. Um and it eventually spurs a, a widespread investigation. Which it was the goal. <laughs> yeah, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, it The investigation results in a lot of changes in New York City's Department of Public Charities and Corrections, which is later separated into different charities, because let's be honest, yeah. like, those don't belong together. No. Um, no. But the changes include a larger appropriation of funds for the care of mentally ill patients, Additional physical appointments for stronger supervision of nurses and other healthcare workers. Yes. And regulations to prevent overcrowding and fire hazards at the city's medical facilities. Yeah, I mean, those are the three big ones that made yeah. those places as bad as they were. Yeah, and so she really changed the safety of, a you know, a lot of people. That's amazing. So she also does a lot of other kind of similar reports. She uh, goes into sweatshops and jails and the legislature where she exposes uh, bribery in the lobbyist system. Oh, my God. Iconic. This is incredible. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, She really sheds light on a lot of experiences of marginalized women. Yeah. Yeah. Outside of the asylum, even. Yeah. And she begins this era of what they call stunt girl journalism, 
So stunt or detective journalists are basically journalists who like immerse themselves. And this really starts an era of women doing that. Mm. There are several, if you just look up stunt girls, uh, stunt girl journalism, you'll find like several different really prolific like female writers who were considered stunt girls um, that Nellie really brought about. Huh. That's super cool. So... By 1893, Nellie is pretty famous, um, and she uses her newfound celebrity to get an exclusive interview with the serial killer, (gasps) Lizzie Halliday. Oh, my gosh. So they do, I think, I think it was like a two-part piece, if I remember correctly, that they published in this interview. Oh, my gosh. She also interviews a lot of other, like, prominent figures like Emma Goldman, and Susan B. Anthony. Wow. Yeah, so she's she's racking up the creds here. Nice. So then, in 1888. That's the, the year of uh, Jack the Ripper? Correct. So, yep. Nellie decides to do something kind of bonkers. Uh-huh. And do you know the book Around the World in 80 Days? I sure do. She wants to make that real. Oh, my gosh. So this is what she's, like, super famous for now, I would Uh say. Um, She decides she's going to travel around the world. She approaches the paper, and she's like, I want to do this. And a year after that. And she works for the world, so it's like, yeah, yeah. it's good, it's funny. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. Um, And then a year after, like, kind of getting the idea in her head, um, on November 14th, 1889, she boards the Augusta Victoria, which is a steamer of the Hamburg America line. Uh, and she starts her journey from Hoboken, New Jersey. Mm. Um, I'm going to read this quote that says, she took with her the dress she was wearing, a sturdy overcoat, several changes of underwear, and a small travel bag carrying her toiletry essentials. She carried most of her money... 200 pounds in English banknotes and gold, as well as some America cur- American currency, in a bag tied around her neck. Amazing. Travel light. Yeah, well, light-ish. Mm-hmm. I mean, gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, at the same time, the New York newspaper Cosmopolitan decides they want to send their own reporter, Elizabeth Bisland, to beat both the time of the fictional character, Phineas Fogg, in, a re- in you know, from the book. I'm sorry, Phileas Fogg. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nellie. Um, and they start the same day, but Bislin's going to travel the opposite direction from huh. Nellie. I didn't find out how her journey ended up. Um, Nellie, like, didn't know about it until she was already, like, well into her journey. Huh. And when she heard about it, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was something like, okay, that's their business. Like, <laughs> like unconcerned. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's incredible. Fair enough. So the paper, The World, um, organizes a Nellie Bly guessing match where readers are asked to estimate her arrival time back into, the, into New Jersey um, down to the second. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And the grand prize was they would win a trip to Europe and spending money for the trip. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. 
that, that is super fun. So is she like reporting as she's traveling and sending it back to get published, or does she? Yes. Do it after so the we're fact? gonna get to that here in just a sec. Okay. Um, how that works. Okay. So during her travels, she goes through England and France, and in France she meets Jules Verne, which is oh like my super cool. Um, Bryn, so I'm gonna say this wrong. Brindisi. I'm not mm. sure. Um, the Suez Canal, Colombo, uh, the Straits settlements of Pen- Penang, and Singapore, Hong Kong, and Japan. She stops in a lot of places. She travels by like train and rickshaw and horse, and you know she. Oh my gosh! Every way she can. Um, so here's how she reports on it. She does send some short reports back because the telegraph has now been invented. Ah. So she's she's able to send some like via updates. telegraph. Yeah. Short ones. Yeah. But like the full reports she would mail while she was going. But that meant that as they were being published, they were behind where, where she, she actually where was. She was. Yeah, but they were being published while she was still traveling. Mm-hmm. Okay, that yeah, I wasn't sure if it was like a, here's how it's going while it's going, or if it was a, when I come back, here's my report. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. She went out, she reported as she went. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, she traveled with steamships and railroad systems. That would sometimes cause some setbacks, um, particularly in Asia. So she stopped there a little more frequently. Mm. Um she visits a leper colony in China. Hmm. And when she's in Singapore, or Singapore, sorry, I can't talk. She buys a monkey, which is like, which is like I never found out, like, what for she did what? with for it. Why? Where did she, where, was it there when she got back? I don't know. I never heard about the monkey again. Um, okay. So, travels all around, and on January 21st, she arrives back in the U.S. in in San Francisco, because that's the direction she's traveling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she has to get back to New Jersey for that to be, like, the end of her trip, right? Because right. that's not around the world. So she travels back to San Francisco um, on the RMS Oceanic, which, if you will remember, is from the White Star Line, which is famous for many reasons. <laughs> Stress. <laughs> We're not quite there yet. No, but who knew? Who knew? At this Who knew? Point. Oh my gosh! I saw a thing the other day that was like somebody's recreating the Titanic, which mm-hmm. is always a great idea, and they're gonna like try and set sail again. And someone mm-hmm. went, "Well, it's not gonna crash on any icebergs because we melted them all." <laughs> and I was like, uh-huh. "Fair enough." Bad juju, though. I mean, bad vibes. But, uh, every time we really tried to do vibes. it, it's been bad. Yeah. Um. So on her trip back to the states there's some pretty rough weather on the pacific and that causes her to be about two days behind schedule when she docks back here mm-hmm. um but pulitzer who again owns the world, the world. newspaper yeah um yeah yes he sure does sorry he charters a private train to bring her back so Uh, so it'll go faster Mm -hmm. exactly so she arrives back in new jersey on january 25th 1890 at 3 51 p.m oh my gosh so she completed the trip in 72 days six hours 11 minutes and 14 seconds wow it was a world record at the time um it, obviously nobody had done it before because mm-hmm. it was fictional the first time um <laughs> it was beaten within like months though because george francis train 
uh, decided to take the trip and finished it in 67 days. Yeah, but she'll always be the first, so. That is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. And the first to think of it, to go, I could actually do that. I could do that, right. We can make that real. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, so obviously now she's super, super famous. She decides to, um, quit reporting and instead starts writing novels for Mm. the publisher Norman Monroe in his weekly New York family story paper. So she starts writing fiction instead. Mm. Between the years of 1889 and 1895, she writes 11 novels. Wow. Which is a lot of novels. (laughs) Um, not many copies of the paper that she's writing them for survive. So her novels were basically lost mm. until this year, 2021, oh when the author David Blixt, uh, said that he found them in Monroe's British weekly, the London story paper. Wow. And he published them as I think it's the collection is just called like the lost novels of Nellie Bly or something like wow, that. Wow. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, so in 1893, she returns to reporting, even though she's still writing novels. I think she just decided she wanted to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 1895, she marries a millionaire. Good for her. <laughs> He's a manufacturer. His name is Robert Seaman. Um, she's 31. He's 73. Hey, girl, get that get that paper your mom never got. <laughs> Make him write a will wherein he will leave his money to you. Yeah, but you you know what? She doesn't need it. Oh, no. I'm just saying get that paper your mom never got. Get, 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 (laughs) get get that that paper. paper. Um, he is not in great health. Well, he's 73 in 1895. So, yeah. (laughs) Um, so she leaves journalism again and... Starts working at his company, the um, Ironclad Manufacturing Company. They make steel containers like milk cans and boilers. Okay. Um, And then Robert dies in 1904 and she takes over the business. Get that paper. I know. So while she's working there, the company starts manufacturing the first practical 55-gallon steel oil drum, which evolved into the standard one that we still use wow she's got her her fingers in a lot of pies i know i know um she also owned some patents ah um she owned the patent for the novel milk can and for a stacking garbage can huh um they're both under her married name elizabeth cochran seaman so they still exist these patents she still technically holds them Um, while she's in charge of the company, she starts putting some of her social reforms into action for the employees of the Ironclad. Oh, yeah, of course she does. That makes a lot of sense. So they have a lot of perks that are not normal. They have fitness centers and libraries and healthcare, and, you know, they're treated really well. But ultimately, this all costs a lot of money. Um, right. And it kind of starts to drain her inheritance. Ah, um, sure. So it's not great. Um, but for a while, she was one of the leading women industrialists in the United States. Wow. 
There were not a lot of them. No. The company did eventually go bankrupt because not only was she spending a lot of money on her employees, but also one of the factory managers was like embezzling. Oh, it was good. Bad. It was bad. Um, so she doesn't have as much money as she once did. So she decides to re-enter the newspaper industry yet again. Mm-hmm. She starts writing for the New York Evening Journal in the year 1920. Um, so she reports on a lot of stuff surrounding the war. She reports on the suffrage movement. Mm-hmm. And actually, in one of her pieces that went out before 1920, she, like, predicted it would be 1920 before women would get the right to vote. Wow. Like, that's what she said. Wow. Yeah. I think she published that in 1913, I think. I can't remember the exact year because I didn't jot it down. But oh my gosh, that's crazy. Um, so she writes about um, Europe's Eastern Front during World War One. She is the first woman and one of the first foreign uh, foreigners to visit the war zone between Serbia and Austria. Huh. She is briefly arrested there because she's mistaken for a British spy. Huh. That didn't last long, though. She <laughs> was released. And then on January 27th, 1922, at the age of 57, Nellie dies of pneumonia at St. Mark's Hospital in New York City. Um, she's interned, uh, interred at Woodlawn Cemetery in the Bronx in New York. Wow. Um, just a couple of things I found interesting, like, you know, those little facts they give you. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a board game created in 1890 called Round the World with Nellie Bly. Oh my gosh, that's trip. so fun. Yeah. I want um, that board game. I know. I don't know if it's, st- if you could still find it anywhere. I would guess probably not. I didn't look, but that's a long time ago for <laughs> a board game to still exist out there. Mm-hmm. In 1946, she becomes the subject of a Broadway musical, which oh, is Oh, she would make a great Nelly Broadway Bly. musical. Yeah. It's by Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen. I can't say that last name. Heusen. Um, I know, but I always have a hard time saying it. Uh-huh. You know? It's caught in your mouth. Yeah. Um, the show ran for 16 performances, which is not great, but not the worst. Right, right. Um, in 1998, she is inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. Of course. Uh, she was one of four journalists honored with a U.S. postage stamp in a woman women in journalism set in 2002. Dope. And I just thought this one was super cool. There was a Nellie Bly amusement park in Brooklyn. Oh, my god! Which was obviously named after her. And the theme was around the world in 80 oh days. Oh, my gosh. Um, it reopened in 2007, but it was renamed Adventurers Amusement Park. So it's not even after her anymore. But an amusement park in a board game? Come on, that's cool. That is incredible. That is iconic behavior. Yeah. So that's Nellie Bly. That's I just so, think she's, she's so, so cool. cool. Yeah, that was really, really cool. smart. It was a shorter episode, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. that's probably good. Yeah, because I have to edit it and I am yeah. <laughs> exhausted. But she was really interesting. She's I um, very interesting. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I knew a, a good bit about her. I think mostly because I was, like, an English major in college, so you hear about, like, famous writers and journalists mm-hmm. and stuff. And you but, hear about, like, the same group often. Right. Yeah. There was a lot I didn't know. Like, I didn't know she was an industrialist later in her life mm-hmm. or anything like that. So, yeah, she was really fascinating. Yeah, that's really cool. I really like that little period of American history where, like, the industrial boom starts picking up and all of those Mm -hmm. big industry people started taking in like you know i can go talk about newsies again even in the newspaper world all of those like giants taking over and Mm -hmm. making the monopolies started moving in i find that period so interesting so it's really interesting to hear about her and how she like slipped in there and in between all of those little you know and like like, made her own name like Mm -hmm. you know it's kind of surprising to me that there wasn't more competition over her in that particular particular like space that you're talking about yeah um but you know she knew what she wanted to do she did it she really got in there and she wrote some really fascinating stories and really changed things especially for women in this country it's so cool yeah good one sis thanks um all right well i don't know what's happening next time oh no Um, Not, not in the slightest I will say this. Okay, so as we discussed, fall approacheth, which means spooky season is coming up. And yes. usually, you guys, during October, we like to do some spooky kind of history. Um, if you have, like, suggestions for stuff you might want to hear about, send them our way. Because I feel like we've done some kind of more obvious ones, you know, mm-hmm. um, ones that people kind of know a, a little about, a bit about already. So if there are any kind of niche things mm-hmm. that you want to hear about, mm-hmm. let us know. We're always looking for new stuff, but spooky stuff, I feel like I'm really always looking for new oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, so for sure. Send that our way. Um, and we still haven't thought of a name for this segment, but we would love to know if any of you have any cool family history stories that you would like to have shared on the podcast. Is there something interesting in your family history? Do you have a specific connection to an historical event or person that you want to want us to talk about we would love to hear it do you want to know um the good analogy for this section of the podcast that i thought of today hit it i'm reading holes to my kids Mm. and their family history is the family curse right do you have a Uh, weird family curse you would like are you looking for the deed to your family farm yes like something (laughs) any bizarre thing like that or cool thing anything like that if you want to share those with us and so we can share them with the world go for it please um, if you want to send us those things, any of those things or anything else, um, you can email us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at RTTPod. We're also on Facebook. If you're interested in that, I don't know why you would be, but just search the name of the podcast. Um, we would love it if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at the real Anna Webb. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter. When you said you're at just then, I almost said yours when I said I did talking. that last time. I almost <laughs> said yours. I'm just remembering that now that you said that. Wow. Well, friends, We're, I think that probably yikes. means it's time for bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
We'll be back in a couple weeks. Maybe we'll be this tired. Maybe we won't. Who's to say? Uh, But until next time. (laughs) Remember that time.